0: Well, as we continue to worship this morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, which is where we will spend the majority of our time this morning as we continue on in the account of Jonah's life according uh, to the testimony that we receive from Jonah uh, concerning those things which he and God essentially is unpacking in his life. As we've, as we've looked at the heart of Jonah, we're going to look a little bit uh, at that again this morning, but uh, my desire is that the Lord would be glorified even as we sang this morning. And what a, what a pleasure it is to be able to be with God's people uh, and just to hear His people sing together. Such a blessed thing. As you turn to Jonah chapter 2, verses 3-6, through six, let us go to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer. As we ask for the Lord's grace and mercy to us this morning as we receive His Word. Let us pray together. Father, what a glorious thing it is for us to be able to consider even the life of Jonah. Father, You have preserved for us, in Your Word, the life of this prophet, the ups and downs of this prophet, as he journeys with You, or rather, as you journey alongside of him, as he discovers even the depths of the depravity of his own heart and his unwillingness to do that which you so pleased in his life to take the message of grace and mercy to the Ninevites. Father, would you do for us, even this morning, as we consider this holy and ancient testimony of Jonah, Would you work in us the very same gospel of grace and mercy for each one of us need to be renewed? Father, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking about how desperately my heart longs for those things which are contrary to your nature and will. And yet through the Spirit, you remind me, you convict me of that truth. And you bring me back to the ever-loving arms of my Savior, one who has freed me from the penalty and also the power of my sin. And so, Father, would you do that glorious work among us this morning, we pray. And it's in your Son's name. Amen. Well, the last time we were together in the book of Jonah, we began to unpack this idea of the gospel according to Jonah. And we saw from our text, especially verses 1 through 2, that God is the ultimate source of our delight. That God's desire is to be in fellowship with His creation. We also learn that the Bible is the account, it is the telling of the story of God with mankind in history to bring a defiant people back to that ultimate source of joy and delight, which is our Maker and Creator, God Himself. We established last week that God is our greatest good. We saw this in a passage like Psalm 23, verse 28, which says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. We also establish that God uses the circumstances in our lives to draw us ever more into that blessing of his ultimate goodness. And also that we are confronted. We are reminded again and again of God's goodness as we crack open the pages of Scripture and read of that plan of God calling us back to Himself out of darkness and depravity, which says something about mankind. It also says something about the gospel. Beloved, have you ever stopped and really pondered why, if God is so good, we are so prone to find our hope and happiness in things other than God. This says more about our character as human beings than it does about God's character. C.S. Lewis once said that we are creatures Far too easily satisfied. Like an ignorant child, we would rather make mud pies in the slums than spend a vacation on the shore. We are far too easily pleased. And this is the case, brothers and sisters. Instead of entering into the boundless joy of fellowship with our Creator, we would rather, much like Jonah, to run from the presence of the Lord. And we've seen that already in our account of Jonah's life. You see, the Gospel is shorthand for good news. And it is good news indeed. But the good news is set off by the immeasurable disparity of the bad news. Just like a diamond shines brightly next to the backdrop of a felt black display, so the goodness of God in the gospel shines infinitely more bright next to the backdrop of the depravity of our human condition. And we see the bad news of the gospel even in our text for this morning. Let us pick up this morning by continuing Jonah's prayer as we will see two aspects of the bad news of the gospel taken from Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. If you're open to Jonah chapter 2 this morning, We'll begin in chapter, or verse 1 just to give us some context of the prayer that Jonah offers in verses 3 through 6. Let's read together Jonah chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. It says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pits, O Lord my God. Notice what Jonah does here in this passage. He sets the good news of God's salvation next to the inescapability of His condition in the belly of the great fish. And so this morning my desire is to do that very thing. It's to set the good news of the gospel next to the inescapable condition that each one of us find ourselves in our natural condition outside of the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we notice in our text is that Jonah starts with the ultimate bad news in verse 3. Jonah is receiving the just judgment of his God because of his rebellion. Jonah sees his unfortunate circumstances as a direct chastisement from the Lord God. Notice in our text for this morning how often Jonah attributes his circumstances to the Lord. Notice in verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seeds, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah recognizes that God is using the natural order to bring judgment upon Jonah for his rank rebellion. Jonah deliberately turns his back on the Lord. And therefore, God is bringing righteous retribution to Jonah through His circumstances. Which means then, beloved, that there is a double bad news. There is a double bad news. This morning as we consider this text, the first thing I want us to look at concerning the bad news of the Gospel, if you're following along in the bulletin insert, is this. The first part of the double bad news is that we have... A contrary nature. Our contrary nature. What we see in this account of Jonah's life is that Jonah has the inclination, the desire, the propensity to disobey a good, holy, and righteous God. Of course, Jonah's disobedience says as much About his lack of personal righteousness as it does God's judgment. It is not as if, in our account of Jonah's life, that God calls Jonah to a dishonorable task. God calls Jonah to take the message of his goodness and grace and his outrageous mercy to a people who desperately need that mercy. God calls Jonah to an honorable profession here. Let's just remind ourselves what it is that God has called Jonah to do here. Jump back up, if you would, in Jonah chapter 1 to verses 1 and 2. (coughs) Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. You see, God's desire is for Jonah to be the vessel that takes the message of repentance and grace to the Ninevite people. God's desire is to see the Ninevites turn from their sin and turn back to Him. God's desire to be in fellowship with Jonah, as we saw last week, is the same as God's desire for the Ninevites. You see, beloved, God desires for the world, that is, those who are opposed to his good and gracious will, to be brought back into fellowship with himself. John chapter 3, verse 16, if you'd like to keep your finger in the book of Jonah and turn over, it's a passage I'm sure we are all familiar with. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this. because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that His work has been carried out in God. You see, beloved, God's message to the world is His desire through the sacrifice of His Son to call people out of darkness into His marvelous lights. And Jonah here is being called by God to take the message of God's love for the Ninevites to the Ninevites. What an absolute privilege. What an honorable profession. Amen? And yet, Jonah refuses. Instead of desiring to be a vessel of God's love to these people, Jonah desires to run from these people and also to run from God. It's like running from the opportunity to deliver a vial of antidote from someone who is dying from poison. Jonah does not want these people to live. Again, We have seen this by Jonah's own admission. Back up in chapter 1, verse 3, says this, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And if you remember the sermon on verse 3, Tarshish is about as far from Nineveh as you can get. Jonah's desire here is absolutely contrary to the Lord's desire. And we know that Jonah's actions are not done in a vacuum. Jonah's actions are a reflection of his heart. We know the fundamental character of Jonah's heart because he himself confesses it to us in this account. Notice over in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That is, that the Ninevites repented from their sin and turned to the Lord. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now we're going to cover Jonah's response later, but here I think it's important because it helps us understand the bad news. The first part of the bad news that precedes the good news is that we, like Jonah, have motivations and desires that are contrary to the perfect will of the Lord. We desire things that are against the desires of God. We see in our text God desired to call Nineveh to repentance. Jonah did not. Jonah does not desire to see these people come to a saving knowledge of God's salvation and therefore he turns from the Lord. And we know why. Because his heart was far from the Lord. His heart did not desire the things that God desired. Jonah's wants and our wants, beloved, are contrary to God's wants. Beloved, if we are honest with ourselves this morning, how often do we find our own wants Contrary to God wants. Jonah is not alone in this contrary nature. All of us, all of us this morning who are in earshot of the words that I speak, all of us are born with a nature that is contrary to the will of God. Each of us come into this world with a desire to to go our own way. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Brothers and sisters, each one of us are born into this world thinking in a way that does not correspond with the way that God thinks. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they, that is, the things of God, are spiritually discerned. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All of our actions, all of our actions are opposed to the actions of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, there is no fear of God before their eyes. With this said, all of us in the natural man, if we found ourselves in Jonah's situation would respond in a very similar way and we know this we know this brothers and sisters how often has the Lord called you to do something according to his good and gracious will and you feel that nagging self-interest seeking to draw you away from the Lord and his purposes Paul summarizes this condition perfectly in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. It says this So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, that is the natural man, the flesh I serve the law of sin. You see, beloved, each one of us when we come into this world, come into the world with a nature that is contrary to the nature of God. And it's why Jesus Christ is so superior. Jesus, when given the opportunity to fulfill the will of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself and took the form of a servant. We read this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, where Paul to the Philippians says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, beloved, Jesus' will and the Father's will were perfectly in sync. Jesus' desires and the Father's desires were one in the same. Jesus' ways and God's ways are perfectly together because Jesus is God. And therefore, Jesus can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He can make a sacrifice for sin in order that we might be redeemed from our old nature. And we might now walk according to the Spirit which God has given us in Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, Jesus is superior to Jonah. Because when asked to be the primary object of God's wrath for the sins of the world, He willingly submitted. Jonah here obstinately refuses. And he refuses to take the message of God's grace to the Ninevites. And what we learn in our story is that because of this refusal, in both heart and action, God's judgment is brought to bear on his disobedience. Jonah receives the righteous retribution of his Lord and God. Again, see it in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. This leads us to our second part of the bad news. The first part of the bad news is that our wills, our desires, our thoughts are contrary to God. The second part of the bad news is that God is constant. God is constant in righteousness. God never wavers in dealing out perfect justice upon those who break His good and gracious ways. If you're following along in the bulletin, that's the second fill-in there. This morning, the second part of the bad news is God's constant righteousness. Now at this point, you might think, wait. That sounds like good news to me. Don't we want a God who is absolutely holy and does all things right? We do. And we do have a God who is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. Notice in your bulletin insert, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4 says this The rock, that is the Lord, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is He. Just a few more passages from the Scriptures, if you'd like to jot them down this morning, that point us to the absolute holiness and righteousness of God. Psalm 119 verse 137 says this, Righteous are You, O Lord, and right are Your rules. Psalm 119 verse 142 says, Your righteousness is righteous, Forever, and your law is true. Psalm 111, verse 3, full of splendor and majesty in His works, and His righteousness endures forever. Psalm 145, verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. Just in case we thought the New Testament might have gotten left out of this list, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You see, beloved, it is good news that God is perfectly righteous. The problem is, That we have with God's perfect righteousness is that all infractions on our part must be punished. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7 says this The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let us just linger here for a second. Let us for a second this morning together meditate on God's perfect righteousness. You see, we could say that God is not only perfectly righteous, we could say that God is infinitely holy. Or to say it another way, God is constant in His application of just judgment. That is to say that His righteous standard extends indefinitely into eternity without break or disruption. There is no way around God's moral standard. And if that is the case, then He cannot, He is unable to let even the smallest of offenses slide. You see, beloved, God is not an NFL referee overlooking some hand fighting between two receivers. God is not a college professor grading on a curve. No, God is the perfectly righteous and holy Judge of the universe. Therefore, there is nothing that is overlooked. There is nothing that is compromised. There is nothing that is excused. And further still, if God is not only infinitely holy, but also infinitely knowledgeable that is to say that God is omniscient or that He knows all things, then not only your smallest actions are put before the Lord for judgment, but also your most random and careless thoughts. As we have already seen, God does not merely look on the outward appearance of men. He looks on the heart, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Now Jesus reveals this truth to us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgments. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, the bad news of the gospel is that each one of us must stand before a perfectly holy and righteous and omniscient and omnipotent God, and we must give an account for every single one of our deeds, whether in action or in motive whether good or evil, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Beloved, this reality sparks the author of Hebrews to declare it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Love that is something that we all should fear this morning. We ought all to fear falling into the hands of the living God because if our actions and our motives are put in the balance, we will find that every action and motive we have falls infinitely short of the glory of God's righteousness and holiness. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Beloved, here is the bad news. Not only that our wills and thoughts and motives are contrary to God, but also that we will have to give an account for those contrary wills and motives and thoughts and desires. And beloved, God cannot tolerate unrighteousness. Because of the nature of God's character, He must dole out just punishment for sin to all who have offended Him. And as we learn in the Scriptures, each one of us are liable to God for our own offenses. Love. this isn't only bad news. It is absolutely terrible news. And we certainly believe that God ought to be perfectly holy and righteous. We certainly affirm the necessity of God's perfect righteousness in every other area of our lives. Don't believe me? Wait until you get in the car this afternoon after church and see someone cut you off on the highway. Each one of us in that moment wants swift justice to be dealt out. Beloved, wait until someone cuts in the line in front of you. In that moment, each one of us wants swift judgment to be dealt out in that moment. When a judge is presiding over a murder case, we demand that he display perfect and impartial judgment. I've been watching a prominent trial in the news this past week on Facebook Watch. And it amazes me seeing the comments from the people who are watching the trial. It's kind of fun that not only do you get to watch the trial, but you get to see all these people respond to the events that are happening before them. And what I find intriguing in a world that wants to escape the righteous judgment of God they demand that very same righteous judgments from the judge in the case. Whenever the judge shows even the slightest bit of partiality either to the defendants or the prosecution, people are absolutely outraged. They accuse him of being biased or even paid off. Each one of us demands absolute, perfect righteousness from our earthly judge. And yet, at times, we want to go free from the perfect righteousness of the God of the universe. We desire for God to give us a pass. Well, beloved, let me assure you this morning that God cannot give you a pass. You see, beloved, the bad news is that God is perfectly just and therefore there is no bias in Him one way or the other. He judges justly and each one of us deserves His verdict of guilty because of our unrighteous motives and deeds. So then, beloved, what must we do? If we are all guilty before a holy God, if there is no leeway that we can attain, then what are we to do? We notice this morning in our text that Jonah leads the way for us here. We are to confess our sins before the Lord. We are to own our rebellion to the good and gracious ways of the sovereign of the universe. And we must turn to the Lord for salvation. And here we begin to see the good news of the gospel unfold. The good news is that if we are willing to confess our sins before the Lord, if we are willing to abandon any hope of saving ourselves from our own deplorable states, if we trust in the Lord, then the Lord will lift us up out of our misery and our depravity and save us from ourselves. And that's exactly what we see Jonah do here in our text for this morning. Let us look quickly at Jonah's own admission of guilt in verse 4. Notice how the text changes here in verse 4 with Jonah's own admission. He says, Then I said, Then I said, I am driven away from your sights, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. What we see in the text is that Jonah moves from recognizing God's perfect judgment to his own desert for that judgment. Verses 4 through 6 are Jonah's own words. Then I said. They are his admission of guilt. They are his confession of sin before the Lord. In verse 4, Jonah is owning his own culpability. Essentially, Jonah is saying, and I'm paraphrasing, I am driven away from your sight as I deserve to be. And beloved, the Bible is clear that if we are willing to do the same, if we are willing to confess our sins before the Lord, then He will lift us up out of our guilt through His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. You can find the passage on the bulletin in your insert says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation that is the settling of God's wrath for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, the good news of the gospel, which is set apart by the bad news, is that God saves us from our sin through Jesus Christ when we repent, confess, and exercise our faith in the means of God's salvation. You see, beloved, salvation belongs to God and to God alone. Next week, Lord willing, we will consider this aspect of the good news of the gospel. And so, beloved, if you want not only to hear the bad news, but also the good news, then you'll have to return next week in order to do so. Let us pray.